Hello, this is Adrian Savino, and you're listening to Circulator. On this episode of Circulator, we're joined by Jed Resnick. Jed is the CEO of Douglaston Development. He brings 18 years of real estate finance and development experience to the company, where he oversees best-in-class execution across Douglaston's various development projects, ensuring excellence in project planning, design, finance, and legal structuring. He also leads the company's uh, project pipeline, as well as critical asset management activities and other strategic business development initiatives. Prior to joining Douglaston Development, Mr. Resnick was a founding principal at Grafton Street Capital, a boutique real estate firm. He also spent 10 years at Lafrac in New York City, serving in numerous roles, including senior vice president for real estate capital markets markets and acquisitions, uh, where he focused on project finance, ground-up development, and significant adaptive reuse projects. Uh, Mr. Resnick holds his BA from Harvard University and his MBA from Columbia University. Jed, welcome. Good morning. Quite the intro. Uh, want to kind of expound on that a bit, understand, you know, uh, a bit of your background, how you transitioned from Grafton over to, uh, Douglaston. And, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the company divisions, but a little bit more on you. We typically open up with, uh, you know, how I built this and how our, our guests got to where they are today. Sure. Sure. And, and thanks for having me, Adrian. It's, it's a pleasure. Um, like, uh, like a lot of, like a lot of kids graduating from college, I uh, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So I gave management consulting a try. Um, it didn't take because I, I still don't know what, uh, what it meant to be a management consultant. Um, I was always, always interested in construction, always interested in, in development, a uh, bit of an amateur carpenter and electrician in, in, uh, in my day. And uh, those aren't, those aren't good jobs for a, a nice Jewish boy. So I, I <laughs> after business school, I, I pursued the next, the next best option. Uh, if, if you can't be a carpenter, at least be somebody who can, who can hire carpenters. Um, so I, I spent, I spent 10 years, nearly a decade at Lefrac, which was an unbelievable experience. It's a fourth generation firm. It's one of the largest multifamily landlords in, in New York city with a, an incredibly varied portfolio in, in all five boroughs plus New Jersey. Um, and, uh, was, is one, is one of the last remaining owner builders. It's a model that does, you don't find nearly as much as, as you used to. Um, but had a really great experience just learning how buildings are built, how they're made, how they're managed for generations. Um, and, uh, after, after about 10 years, I was looking around and and uh, and just knew that it was time to to just try something new because uh, because I you know I get I get antsy um, so I did I did some entrepreneurial stuff uh, I did some consulting work I did some investing um, founded a, a small boutique real estate firm with a, with a partner uh, out of Miami Beach but you know after a couple of years doing that what I really missed was the opportunity to work on big things here in New York city where I live. Uh, and you need a platform. You need, you can't just be a guy in a room with a cell phone or even two guys in a room with a cell phone. You need, um, you need enough infrastructure to execute if you want to compete in our country's biggest sandbox. Um, and I missed it. I missed the ability to, to do big things. I found that, the market for small things in New York is incredibly crowded. You know, there are 10,000 people competing for every opportunity when those opportunities are um, 
within reach of sort of small family offices or, you know, small family businesses. Um, you really need to get up above that scrum um, where the air gets a little thinner. And in order to do that, you need, you need more balance sheet and you need more capacity to execute. So I was looking for an opportunity to rejoin a bigger, a bigger platform. Um, and that's, I met Jeff Levine in 2017 and around the same time he was looking for, um, you know, a way to start to bring in some, some slightly younger professional talent, um, to take what has been kind of, you know, an entrepreneurial shop to the next level. He's, he's done some great things and we've got a great team here and he's, he's, he's done some amazing gigantic projects. Uh, but was really looking to to um, you know bring in bring in some outside help to to just take the firm to the next level and it, and it's been a it's been a, a, uh, an incredible privilege to be here. It's a, it's a, it's a great platform. Absolutely. So ten years at Lefrac, obviously a huge name and 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 you know in the in the sandbox air quote um, they're doing great things and you found yourself with with Jeff. So you're jumping from big to big. You're, you've built you know helped build Douglaston over the past you know four or five years. Um, and you said varied. I mean, that's Lafrak has, has you know varied portfolio. You know, you guys are are working on you know market rate rental, affordable senior housing, market rate condo, student housing. So the portfolio with Douglasson is you know equally as if not more varied. Um, and then you guys have I know three divisions of the company. You're working on the development piece of it. You have the management piece, and then you have the construction piece as well. So I just wanted to turn, t- kind of talk about you know how you um, sought out maybe the same variation, how you've helped build it. And then you said air is thinner, less competition. Who would you say competition? Um, how do you guys compete and, and, and what projects are you working on? Well, there's a, there's a lot there. Um, but you touched on, you touched on, on the fact that, that I somehow managed to land with one of New York's other last remaining owner builders. So we, right. we have three affiliated companies. We, uh, we operate at arm's length, but we are absolutely siblings. Um, so I, I run Douglaston Development, which is our development arm, where we do development things, right? We, we have a vision, we source a piece of land, we engage the design consultants, we develop the plans, uh, and then we, we secure financing and, and, then, and then really quarterback the whole process all the way through to completion and then operations beyond um, we have our, the company actually started, when Jeff founded the company in 1979, it started, it started with just Levine Builders, which is his uh, construction company. Um, so I have a, you know, my, my counterpart at Levine runs that uh, organization. Again, we, 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 we run everything arm's length so that we can be completely transparent and have um, marked standard documentation for the benefit of our, our, you know, our lenders and our partners. Everything is... Uh, papered as if we were working with a third party, but we have the benefit of of uh, a partnership with a contractor whose mission is to deliver our projects at the best possible cost and the best possible quality uh, in the best possible time, um, and is not is not driven by uh, the mission of fleecing uh, owners with change orders. Sure. Which is a, a common affliction in the construction business. So we were able to, to pass that that savings and that efficiency on to our our partners and our lenders. And, and it's it's a tremendous competitive advantage for us. 
And then we also have our own property management company, Clinton Management, which we bring in before before we even finalize the plans for a new project. We bring management in, um, just like we do pre-construction with Levine Builders to make sure that we are designing something with constructability in mind. We bring in Clinton Management for pre-construction to make sure that we're designing with operations in mind. Um, and that's everything from how are we going to get the trash from the compactor room to the curb? What's that path going to look like? Do bicycles go through the lobby or do we create another way for them For them to, how do we collect recyclables? Uh, how are we going to handle move-ins? Where do the luggage carts go so they don't they don't bang up the walls in the lobby? You know, we, we really take um, great pains to make sure that we're designing uh, not just with cost-effective construction in mind, but cost-effective and high-quality operations so that, that we we have a building that's relatively easy to maintain and also provides a fantastic experience for our residents. All right. And how have you seen that change? I mean, with you know development in regards to design, programming, you know, how buildings are laid out, what people expect post-COVID, how are you seeing those those conversations evolve between you know yourself and, and Clinton management or Levine? You know, the vertical integration obviously is super important and, and you know valuable uh, to have everyone, although separate by by division, you know, obviously it's you're working with the same. Uh, teams on on all your developments. So, how do you think that the 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 landscape has changed and the approach has changed from a design and, and programming perspective? That's a great question. Um, there are certainly some so there are some big design trends that I think predate COVID that that are um, that really drive a lot of of what we do. First and foremost is the amenities arms race, right? It's the you can you can never over amenitize a building. Uh, the design trend in New York City for quite some time has been a movement toward ever smaller apartments and ever better amenities, right? A recognition that pe- tenants want community. Um, tenants, many, many tenants feel like my apartment is a place where I sleep. Uh, it, it's a place where I uh, maybe do a, a little bit of cooking, maybe do a little bit of entertaining, Debatable, debatable, but debatable in many cases. Um, you know, I've been in I've been in units that we've turned over twice that still have the manual in the oven. <laughs> so it's it's um, it, there are many there are many residents who they don't they don't cook they don't entertain the, the city is their is their dining room the city is their living room um, and the and the amenities are their are their den right it's their it's where they hang out it's where they make friends. So that, that trend has been happening for a while. Uh, the other one, and this one's a little silly, is you can never make the package room big enough. Uh, <laughs> we, keep, we keep finding, they, the world keeps inventing new things that can be delivered. Uh, and so, so we think we have to give ever-increasing amounts of thought to how do we manage? You know, we'll get, we'll get, in many cases, a couple days after Cyber Monday, we'll get three to five packages per unit per day. So when, when, that's, when that's in a 500-unit building and you're receiving 2,000 packages a day for, for a week after Thanksgiving, um, that's a lot. That's a lot. And our most recent project is 938-unit rental building in West Chelsea. Uh, you start to think about the magnitude of, of receiving 5,000 packages a day. It, it, so that, that requires thought. It requires um, some creativity. That's been happening before COVID and, and has only accelerated. 
early in the pandemic, you know, March, April, May of 2020, we did a lot of work with our engineers on what emerging technology or existing technology should we be thinking about implementing at least in new design to promote, um, you know, to, to reduce the spread of virus, to, to promote health in the building. And, and the answer there was, for the most part, um, we're already doing what, what is proven, right? There's a lot of, there were a lot of ideas floating around, but, but our engineers studied them and said none of these things actually work. Uh, in hindsight, I'm glad we didn't go to any extraordinary measures because we now, we now have a pretty good understanding on what works and it's, and it's getting a vaccine and wearing a mask. It's not, it's not uh, you know, the, 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 meta- the metallurgy that goes into the heat exchangers that you use to recover heat in common spaces and recycle it. Um, we made a few changes, uh, again, at, at 311, which is, which is our newest rental in, in West Chelsea, we did put in destination dispatch for the elevators, which is that system you see in a lot of office buildings where you key in the floor you're going to, and then it it directs you to an elevator, and then you enter that elevator. You don't have to push any more buttons. Sure. Uh, as just a way to reduce the number of things you had to touch. Uh, again, it was before we knew that you don't really get COVID from touching things, but we we made that change. Um, one, what we're what we're definitely cognizant of and this was again it was happening before covid but it has dramatically accelerated is that is work from home um i don't believe that we're never going back to offices uh, i'm in my office um i think that we most companies will land with most workers using the office a big chunk of the time most weeks uh, but i don't think we're ever going back to everybody's in the office all the time and so we have to think about work from home. We design more spaces in a building, indoor and outdoor, with Wi-Fi, with access to power to, to run your laptop. Um, we are, I was skeptical early on in the pandemic about you know, think, thinking about redesign to incorporate home office, but our next project in Brooklyn is going to have a lot of home office, you know, flexible space that that is interior, away from windows. It's good for Zoom. It's, it's, um, it's a change. Um, and I think, I think for the most part, it, it recognizes what was already happening, you know, I, uh, particularly in, particularly in Williamsburg. Uh, we have, we have a lot of residents who are in creative fields, entrepreneurial fields who are already working from the lounge most of the time uh, in the amenity space. And, and that's, that trend is accelerated. So we're just, we're thinking about how we can make sure that there are flexible spaces all over the building for different kinds of work. Uh, both inside and outside. Right. And I mean, I was reading in the uh, commercial observer this morning. I mean, August was the most active, uh, you know, leasing month since 2020 for, you know, office space in the city. So I think that those numbers are coming back. Um, Availability shrank to just under 17%. Office occupancy is up, you know, 40 to 50%, which is great. You know, we'll see that trend continue. And to your point, I mean, I think the jury's still out with regard to, where people are going to work, how they're going to work, you know, it'll probably be some hybrid model. Um, but it's just a matter of how that, how, how that happens. And even before, I mean, housing is not just the four walls people live inside of. It's not just the apartment anymore. You know, there's a, a, a far more, you know, focused approach, hospitality driven approach, um, and, and thoughtful approach to how the common spaces of buildings are developed. Um, and it's important to kind of develop along those lines and understand what's going on. 
Um, so to back up a bit, that's more so the internal piece of the building, the actual building itself. How do what, what are you seeing in the overall you know overall market? Um, whether that's political and, and the headwinds with like four twenty one a, you know sentiment around uh, how development generally is accepted or, or or received in the city with you know NIMBY versus YIMBY. Um, what are you guys seeing when you're delivering these huge scale projects and and whether it's you know waterfront Brooklyn, whether it's West Chelsea, um, and how does that kind of affect the planning and um, prospecting of development sites and, and the planning the planning piece of all of it? Well, there's a, a good deal a good deal to unpack in that question too. There's a lot of ground to cover. I like to ask full questions. There's there's a lot going on, and it, you have to remember you have to remember as you go. You have to index each question and 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 and, uh, and respond accordingly. <laughs> right, and and I have to I have to remember not to just uh, just unload on 421A, which I could I could I could talk about for for hours. Um, uh, okay. So for starters, for starters, how we think about about prospecting for for new development has been radically altered by the expiration of 421A. Um, our general view for quite some time has been, this is a fantastic city. It's the best, the best city in America, and it's in the running for the best city on earth. And it remains a place that continues to attract ever more young, high human capital talent. People... People, ambitious, talented people who finish school, they want to come to New York. There are other places in America they also want to go, but they want to come here in droves. And if if COVID showed us anything, it's that um, they're, they can't be deterred, right? And it, and it also told us it's not about how often they're going to work. They don't care. They're, they want to be back here to live near each other. Um, they want, they, they're willing to pay a fortune for a very small apartment, very well located, to the office they don't go to because right. it's about social opportunity. So we, we're believers that, that the market is robust, that demand is, is underserved, that there's, there's, there's inadequate supply. So our view has been any place you can build a high quality rental project with access to transportation in, in New York city is good, right? There's, there's, there's no, there's no bad location. There's, there are locations that are valued more highly than others. So as long as you're underwriting to a realistic rent for the location in relation to the rest of the market, um, just creating more high-quality housing is, is a good idea. So very much if you build it, they will come. As long as, as long as you're pricing it right, every apartment in the city can rent because we don't have enough housing. So there's, there's a, a simple formula. If, if, you can, if you can build it and deliver it at the right price, which means – don't spend don't spend more than you can afford to on land. Don't overbuild for the location. But if you deliver the right the right product at the right price um, in New York City, it it will rent. And that's and that's been sort of our our uh, guiding vision. Um, you know, it brought us it brought us in the you know early the early aughts. It brought us to the Williamsburg waterfront um, in in round, around the time of the Great Financial Crisis. It brought us to, to Ohm. Um, which is on the corner of 11th and 30th Street, long before Hudson Yards was was anything. Um, we've got some great photos of, of our project Ohm, um, which is 312 11th Avenue, uh, shot from inside the yards when there was nothing, not, not even not even a hole, just train tracks. Um, because ultimately, we do believe that if you build good product and you deliver it at a competitive price, uh, you know, competitive rental rate. 
it, it, it will fill. There's demand. And that hasn't changed. What has changed is without 421A, we can't pencil anything uh, at, to, at, at the right, at a good market rent, right? We can't, we can't make anything work with full taxes as long as taxes run at you know, 28 to, to 32%. The numbers just, just don't pan out. Um, and that means, that means that, that as much as we would like to build more supply, we can't attract the debt or the equity to do it because because the yield just isn't just isn't there. You know, ultimately, Jeff Jeff likes to say that he's Tinkerbell. He exists if, if the capital markets believe we exist, um, and, and I I love that because it's 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 a hundred percent true, right? The capital markets, for the most part, believe in Douglas and believe in in you know the the platform we have because of our track record of execution. But as soon as they stop liking the return. They go somewhere else. They go to Nashville. They go to Austin, right? Um, we need to stay competitive, not um, for the for the residents, because I think I think this remains the most competitive market in attracting tenants. But we need to stay competitive on returns because the capital will absolutely go somewhere else, and that's that's something that that, that we're very mindful of. So without four twenty one a, it leaves us in a in a bit of a lurch. So we're doing we're doing two things about that. The first is we have. Uh, we've been looking at a lot of sites that that either were on pace to or have now have been grandfathered. You know, the drove a pile prior to June fifteenth, twenty twenty two. So we evaluated probably a dozen opportunities along those lines, and we have one of them under contract. Um, but it's a little it's a little bit tricky because, of course, there's also a back end date. So if you're if you didn't start by January 15th of 2022, you don't get a 421A. If you don't finish by June 15th of 2026, you don't get 421A. And we have found that the capital markets don't like the risk, right? So if you if you tell them we're going to we're going to close in January and we've got a a 36 month construction cycle, um, and so we'll be we'll be done in January of 2026. They start to say, "Well, okay, but what if what if you're slowed down by six months? Supply chain, you know, neighborhood opposition, entitlement issues. There's a thousand ways that construction is delayed. It, it becomes tricky. So we'll be we'll be building one more project under under the old 421A, uh, and then we have to wait and see what happens in Albany. You'd asked about you'd asked about the politics." Um, I'm not a politician, so it's hard to hard to guess. Um, my, sus- my I suspect it will be very hard for lawmakers to build a coalition to create a replacement for 421A until they can actually see the lack of of delivery. Right when they see that things really are not getting built, which there's going to be a lag because some of the things that got grandfathered this year will be completed. But I think. I think in a couple of years, two, three, four years, there'll be a big slowdown in rental deliveries. I think that's the most likely time for uh, the legislature to to act because they'll at, at that point they'll be able to touch and feel a problem. For now, it's all forward looking, um, and I think forward looking is very, very hard for politicians if the thing you're looking forward to is beyond November. All right. 
and people get pressed, you know, politicians will get at some point when the, the problem is more palpable. I think that they'll, they'll be pressed to make a decision and, and, and move forward with something. It's a real problem. It's a real problem because, because, you know, the, the problem is palpable right now. Right. Rent, rent is, rent is too high. And, and I, you know, say that as a landlord, rent is too high. Um, it's very, very hard to find an apartment in part because our population has grown by 800,000 people over the last decade. And we've, we've built 200,000 units of housing. So that's those, that math doesn't add up in part, in part, it's hard to find an apartment because the 2019 rent stabilization reform that effectively restabilized every apartment that had been built under the prior iteration of 421A, we've seen that dramatically depressed turnover, right? People all of a sudden have stabilized leases who never who never had stabilized leases before. They don't move. So right. if they don't move, those apartments are off the market. So we have a, we have a real crisis in supply citywide, you know, at every price point for every income level in every neighborhood. And it's a problem now, but I think that, I think that we don't, um, for, for one reason or another, we've been unable to make an effective case to a large enough swath of the electeds that we, that we really do need some type of tax abatement to make development financeable. And I, I wish they, I wish they wouldn't have to wait to see us not actually building anything to believe that that's the case, because there's a there's a four year lag on on these things, right? So when we when we ultimately get some sort of of replacement, it's going to take a while to then spin up a bunch of projects and get them delivered. All right. So let's let's zoom back into three eleven, uh, big project, you know, high growth sub market over in West Chelsea and, and Hudson Yards, a lot of a lot of, a lot of supply. But, you know, the supply that's being delivered um, is super high end. You know, developers are looking at these projects as vertically integrated. People aren't leaving too much. They're going downstairs. They're dropping the kid off at school in the, you know, the, the commercial, you know, uh, area in, in, in the front of the building. They're working out in, in within the building. They're, they're eating near the building. They're, they're living there. They're working from home. So you guys are developing this project. Um, you know, obviously a great area. How, how has leasing been? How has Velocity been? You know, we're, we're starting to hear the inklings of, you know, whether it's the fall winter market on the leasing side or if it's a bigger problem at hand. Um, I think a lot of developers and owners that we work with directly are trying to, um, you know, figure out where things go in the next 12 to 18 months. So how are you guys seeing the project perform thus far? Um, any, any, you know, are you getting sidetracked with anything specifically or are things moving along as expected? Things are, things are moving along as expected. It's a great project. Look, we, we poured our first column above grade on March 17th, 2020. On March 18th, Governor Cuomo closed New York to business. Um, we, we managed to, because, because it's an MIH project, mandatory inclusionary housing, it's 25% affordable for families with an average uh, of 60% of the area median income. So it's, it's, it's 25% low income housing, which qualified us as essential construction. We were able to keep building. Um, it wasn't easy supply chain problems, labor problems. We had to learn how to build a building remotely. It largely, right. we, had our, we had our essential personnel on site, obviously, but we had to drastically reduce density in the, in the, uh, in the field office like everybody else. Um, 
despite all of that, we had our first TCO inspection on July 28th of this year, which which was one day late on the original on the original schedule. We were we were one day late, which um, you know I think we might be the only people in the world who could say that they built a million square foot building through COVID and and were on target within a day with their first their first DOB inspection. Um, right. So that was so that that's been that's been tremendously exciting. We opened the leasing office about six weeks ago. We moved our first tenants in on, on October 1st. So there are people living there now. Um, and leasing has been going very well. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful building. It's 630 feet tall. Of course, at this point, we can only show about the bottom, the bottom 18 floors because that's, that's all we had in the first TCO. Construction is going to continue there for about 10 more months while we, while we finish. But the building is is absolutely gorgeous. We have we've never we've never done anything this large. We've never done anything this well appointed. Um, it's absolutely a condo standard in terms of of, of finishes and and uh, and the amenities are are world class. So um, we are hoping to get our amenities open within the next couple of weeks. And, uh, and it, it, they, they would knock your socks off. We have a, we have a 4,000 foot gym in the basement. We have a, we have a 2000 foot dog spa pet amenity. Still working on, still working on the name. How's, how's the package room? The package room is not big enough. <laughs> we made it, we made it bigger. We made it bigger in design development. It's already too small. Like I said, in the last, in the last four years, since we finished the plans, they uh, they've invented a lot more things that get delivered. Um, so we're 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 always we're always stuck with with package room that's too small. But it is it is it is big, um, and we've got we have we'll have a cafe that will serve coffee in the lobby. Um, we have a full floor amenity deck with outdoor pool and and you know a, a indoor indoor outdoor pool lounge with a, with a with a bar a, a chef's kitchen. Pri- lots of private spaces you can you can reserve for private private functions, indoor cooking, outdoor grills, um, rentable cabanas with wet bars, uh, uh, game room, co working lounge, um, some beautiful spaces overlooking the High Line. It's 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 world class. And then we're we'll, we're also going to have a uh, a an amenity deck, a secondary amenity deck on the 40th floor with uh, our Sky Lounge, a speakeasy for for poker games um, and a, a beautiful, beautiful sort of quiet outdoor space with, with the river on three sides. It's, 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 it's fantastic. Um, and the leasing has been going well. You know, we, we, we are, we're on pace. It's, it's not, we did, we haven't priced it to fly off the shelves. If you know what I mean? Sure. Um, you know, we've, we've priced it, we think fairly uh, and, and it's, and it's moving at a good, at a good clip. You know, we've, we've, uh, We've rented we've rented about half of the market rate units that we have available so far, sure. um, which is not bad. It's only been six weeks. Um, the The bottom of the base of the building also has a, a high concentration of affordable units, and we are we are working with HPD to start taking names off of the the the, uh, the wait qualifying tenants off the wait list. We have two hundred and thirty five affordable units. Which I, you know, I have to say, are, are the most beautiful affordable units that have ever been constructed in the history of New York. Because we did a hundred percent equal finishes. You can't, 
you can't tell the difference. Um, get your, you get your Bosch washer dryer and your, uh, your Fisher, Fisher and Paykal fridge or your Liebherr fridge, whether, whether you're paying, you know, $6,000 or $1,000 for your, for your apartment. Uh, it, they're, they're fantastic. We had, we had 84,000 lottery entries for 235 apartments. So we're wow. going to need to, to start, to start moving in those tenants as well. All right. Demand is, I mean, through the roof on both sides, whether it's affordable or, 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 or free market. So yeah, it is absolutely. And it's, and it's, you know, the, you mentioned that there's, there's a lot of competition. There's actually, there's not that much dedicated rental competition around Hudson Yards. Certainly right. everything, everything in the yards proper is for sale. Um, you know, there, there are a couple of, there are a couple of, of rental buildings on 30th street, south of the, of the high line, um, that related did there, there are a few, there, the, um, there's the Eugene over at Brookfield, Brookfield, that Brookfield did, um, at Manhattan West. There are, there are a few other, other projects, but, um, the world is moving that way. You know, the big, the big office leases that have been signed over, over the last three, four years are heavily weighted toward the kind of corridor from the, the, um, you know, the new Penn station through, through Manhattan West to Hudson Yards. There's a tremendous amount of, of employment there. Um, and there is a lingering hesitancy around, around the subway that we think, that we think really is uh, you know, a great feature. We, we offer walk to work to Manhattan's fastest growing office environment. Right. Yeah. I mean, the area I work over there too, I'm on 35th and 7th. It's, it's a great area. Uh, when Penn Plaza is done, when, you know, Hudson Yard is, is finally finished and some of these other developments popping up and, you know, by and farther south from Manhattan West, you know, the area is going to be its own, you know, amazing submarket. It's, we're really, one thing we're really excited about, we're very happy to see moving along so quickly is the new spur on the High Line that will connect the, the High Line directly into Manhattan West. Right. Um, without, without ever, without ever coming down to sidewalk level, it just takes one of, one of Manhattan's most treasured features and, and um, allows our residents to get all the way to the offices um, in Moynihan station uh, via the High Line, which is, which is something we never, we never dreamed would happen, but it's, it's moving quickly. I, I think they'll be open in a couple of months and it's going to be absolutely spectacular. Yeah, Highline, arguably the, the coolest redevelopment public space in, in the city. So, um, listen, this has been great. It's been awesome to hear how you guys, you know, from um, sourcing land to, you know, dealing with partners, raising money, um, delivering amazing rental product. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to get you back on for an update when, uh, when things are farther along at 311 and, and finished up. Um, and again, this has been great for myself, for the audience, um, and appreciate the time. Absolutely. Uh, it's been, been a pleasure, Adrian. And uh, tell, tell your friends we have, we've got, I don't know, 600 or so units left to rent. So uh, they better hurry. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you.